Hello, and welcome to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the thoughtful book club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host, Amanda. Welcome back, Amanda. Thank you. Hello. Maybe, yeah, hello indeed. Maybe I shouldn't say welcome back because this episode is intended for a potential new listener. This is a book review highlight. Well, we shouldn't say review anymore. We're not really a review show. We were for a long time, so it's hard to kick that habit. (laughs) There's 80 episodes (laughs) of Penguin reviews if you want to go back into the feed. This rather is a book kind of recommendation highlights episode. So if you're unfamiliar with the show, let me just reiterate, this is the Lightly Literary Podcast. We do book clubs and literature discussion on this podcast. You can find our social media accounts. We have them up on Facebook. We have a Facebook page that updates and an Instagram account. Both are at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word. As usual, whatever podcast feed you find us in, give us a, a rating and a review. We'd appreciate it. Tell your friends, etc. And we are hoping, again, that this episode will find first-time listeners. Now, our format that we've chosen, Amanda, is to do a book every two weeks, which we agreed in terms of reading through the book, discussing it analytically, analytically rather, and thoroughly, was a pretty good pace. How do you feel about the pace so far? I'm enjoying it. I think it's great. Me too. I think that's a, that matches about my pace, and I've been able to kind of intermingle some of my own kind of side readings and personal readings too. So to me, it's fit perfectly. But we do understand that people are going to jump or kind of dive in and out of the podcast. There will be some books that intrigue them, some books that don't. And so you might be a listener who's hearing this thinking, well, I've read two of the six you've done so far, or maybe I've read one of them, or maybe I've only listened to the book recommendations and haven't chose any of them. You're the ideal listener for this episode. If you've done most of the books with us, then I'm not sure if this podcast will give you much new information to contemplate or new conversation to enjoy, though we've pulled out some new segments for this one, so I think perhaps it might, even if you're very familiar with the format. We usually do book recommendations, and then we follow that up with two episodes per book. So each book gets a recommendation and then two analytical book club episodes. That's the usual format, and the pace, again, is to do a book every two weeks. And then what Amanda and I decided is that we should probably, while doing that rhythm of book clubs and book discussion, we should probably stop occasionally and include a highlights episode discussing a larger grouping of books that we've done so far. It gives us a chance to pause and reflect. Some of these books we read literal months ago at this point, maybe two months ago, a month and a half. And so it's good to get some time and distance and to think back on the books you maybe liked or didn't like. Maybe some have grown or lessened in our estimation now. And I, the number we settled on was six, Amanda. Why did, why are we doing six again? I don't remember. <laughs> Felt it right. It seemed like a, a good even number. <laughs> yeah, I love an even number. And I, you know what I think it was? It's because six books on our pacing is about three months. And it feels like yeah. a check-in. I mean, three months is a long time to try try and accomplish some reading, I think, in the real world. You know, I think in three months, a person can set some reasonable reading goals and accomplish or or not accomplish and fail those goals. Both are perfectly fine. So I feel like if we check in with the highlights every three months, that feels like a good time to catch people up. Perhaps you had a busy three months, haven't read anything. You are the ideal listener for this episode then because we're going to be discussing the first six books we've done. So books one through six are going to be discussed today. We are doing this again with the potential or intended audience of someone who hasn't read any of them, or maybe you've just read one or two or you know listened to the episodes but haven't read. This is kind of like a large book 
recommendation slash reflection. It's kind of a combination of those. We're going to be discussing the books broadly. There will be some quoting, but not big spoiling. We have zero intentions of discussing the entire books and their analytical details. Those are what the book club episodes are for, and those are going to stay in the feed forever, right? So this is just going to be kind of a looser discussion. It's going to be a little more fun. We're going to, again, we're gearing this for people who don't know the books at all, so we're going to try not to leave you in the dust or anything. If you have never heard of any of the six books in this episode, we're going to be repeating the titles a lot and trying to recommend the authors and everything. We'll be discussing the books again pretty broadly, and so hopefully we can hit those goals. Any thoughts on this, Amanda? Did the does that format make sense? Makes sense to me. Excellent. Okay. Well, for this first ever, the inaugural book highlights episode, which is what we're going to call for now, this again will cover the first six books we've done here on the Lightly Literary Podcast. Let's just jump in. We've got four segments planned, and so we're going to get to those now. Why don't you set up the first segment since it was your invention? What are we doing first here? Um, the first segment is going to be called Free Associations. Um mm-hmm stole that from psychology so sure. <laughs> it's it's kind of a warm-up for us where um, for each book that we've read we're going to give just a one word like quick thing the first thing that comes to mind if somebody were to come up to us and say the the name of the book what would be the first thing that pops out of our mouth bit of a rorschach test yeah which yeah. i think putting ourselves on the psychological chopping block seems like a perfectly good way to start to expose our many flaws <laughs> and expose a potentially new audience to our types of madness. So I'm on board. Do you want? Yeah, and they can be as silly or as serious as we want it to be. Right. So right. I have a couple of silly ones. And of course, we'll follow up with explanations. As I said, we're going to be trying to talk our way through these books and explain them to potentially new people out there. So again, if you don't know any of the books we're about to talk about, we can hopefully summarize them in a in an adequate way as we go through here do you want to begin then with your own segment and we'll go in order of the books as we read them by the way so we're gonna in these word association we're going to begin with janesville an american story by amy goldstein which is a non-fiction account of my hometown actually and how it went through some economic turmoil and kind of a recession it's the history of that um go ahead amanda what's your association and talk me through it my association for that is union as in workers unions Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason for that is that plays like a, a major role um, in the story and several of the what she calls characters, what Goldstein calls characters, so, but they're not characters because they're real people, um, <laughs> right, are right. associated with the union and then a lot of the politics around uh, unionization and stuff like that. So that was one of the big things that really stood out to me while reading this book. So that's why I chose Union. We're a country that had a time period where unions were an incredibly potent social force. That time is sort of dwindling in American life. And so as manufacturing has left, especially, that's kind of the case. Though you've seen, or at least I've seen, I should speak for myself, an uprise in media unions in the last year. I think media is trying to unionize a bit more. But it is a fascinating look at that deterioration because two of the accounts in the book are very much tied into auto workers unions. So if you have any interest Mm -hmm. in that type of, that aspect of American life, it's it's in there for sure. Yeah. My free association is poverty, which I will briefly explain. Janesville an American story is it's a look at what happens when the economic driver of a town leaves the town. So 
Obviously, a lot of the tales in the story are about people struggling to make ends meet. They're struggling to find new work that's meaningful. But a lot of it is also about how people kind of rise above it. And again, some of them succeed, some fail. So I think in terms of a tale, it's pretty fairly balanced. There's one person in particular well, maybe two or three figures, actually, who come out better than they were before. So I think I chose poverty not just because it's a tale of woe, though there's economic woe in here for sure. It's also because it shows that it doesn't have to encompass all people and that there are maybe a couple of bright spots economically for for my hometown by the end of it. But I think overwhelmingly the most compelling tales in it are the ones, frankly, maybe for the worse or better, I'm not sure, that do deal with real struggles with poverty and fighting that off, kind of battling with those forces. Yeah. I think that's a great uh, word for this no- uh, novel, <laughs> this fiction, this yeah. nonfiction piece as well, yeah. because even those who are not struggling financially, um, we do see a lot of uh, people who are struggling financially. Um, but there's a fear of poverty that's throughout yeah, the entire yeah. book. And uh, those who are wealthy or in power, um, their actions are because of a fear of that poverty. So. Yeah, it even starts to grip some of the younger. There's some high schoolers that feature in it, too, and they're they're far from immune. So they're very much implicated yeah. in the poverty, too. The next book that we read is titled Hard-Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World by Haruki Murakami, a acclaimed Japanese writer, and this is a novel. I will begin with my association, which might have been the quickest one I got to, and it's also a rather vague one. And it was, okay, so just to clarify, you wrote in that these had to be nouns. Do they have to be nouns? I like the idea of nouns okay. just because... I don't know. It's, it's I think more fun because okay. if we were to do like a lot of adjectives, it could just be like I don't know, like a, an adjective for the book, like fun or right, right, okay. So yeah. gotcha. I because I have noun forms of all my words. I just thought of the first word and then changed it to a noun. English is a fun okay. language. You can often just take a word and make it another part of speech if you want to. Yeah. And so that's it's what like I German. Do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just... <laughs> The word German's a fun one, too. <laughs> yeah, we just get words however we want them here. We do what we like, you know, just as Shakespeare yeah. <laughs> did. We live on in the tradition of Shakespeare in the language. I'm going to go, so my noun then is haze, a haze. Now, this book has nothing directly to do with a haze, but the more I reflected on this book, it is a book that has two narratives that interweave in a very unclear manner, very deliberately unclear, too. These are radically different stories. One of them is in kind of encompassed by this ignorance, this sort of like fog or haze-like ignorance over this town that a person is living in. They don't know why they're there, and they don't really remember how they got to the town or what they're doing there. And the other narrative is kind of in modern Tokyo, and it's a kind of a crime story, a technological thriller of a sort. And I just remember, thinking back to it now, the kind of vague overlap of those and then eventually how it pays the novel pays that off and it does fully explain the connection so it's there it's just later in the book i just remember back now having a greater appreciation for the part of the story that just feels very hazy to me and i Mm -hmm. i don't want to say much more because again we're not here to spoil or analyze the work but that was the word that came to mind right away it was just i enjoyed the the unknowing part of that aspect of the story that's interesting, too, because even with the um, Wonderland narrative, the Tokyo narrative, there is a, a kind of haze as well. There's like yeah. darkness. There's also like a lot of cigarette smoke. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, there's there's a haze in that sense too. I think that's pretty. That's out. true, and and a a good bit of the modern Tokyo story is about shadowy forces that can't be understood, or, or it's very difficult mm-hmm. to understand them. So it's a bit hazy yeah. with them too. It's a lot of things are unclear. Yeah. So yeah, that's my word. That's great. Um, my word is skulls, mm-hmm. like your head skull, your your head. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um. And so there's um, a lot of mention of skulls and also it kind of fits in with the overall uh, theme of the story and uh, some of the the more important parts, I suppose, of the plot. Um, But it's also like a red herring in some cases, too. So it's pretty for me, that's what stood out to me the most, just because it was like skulls was just like everywhere it was it was just important in both narratives yeah um, yeah. and like tying together everything as well it is a symbol that should i elaborate upon it i would ruin a good chunk of the story i feel like exactly that's why i have to be like yeah yeah (laughs) it's a symbol so obvious but then again so complicated too that it yeah to start to unravel it would kind of do the story a disservice especially if you're listening this as we hope again and you maybe plan on going back and reading some of these maybe a couple of them will will convince you or intrigue you on here yeah i don't want to say much more but skulls is a great there's at some point a skull is given as a gift in that story yep so a little bit of a skull gift. Not my favorite of the gifts you could. I don't know, though. An exotic skull from an animal far away or some kind of rare creature. As long as it wasn't hunted or something, that would be, I don't know. Maybe I should keep, I'm very afraid of snakes. Maybe I should keep a snake skull around me just sort of as a totem of protection or something. <laughs> that would be, I would not want that. I'll admit, I since the pandemic times have begun a, a year ago now or so, I have gone to the park very frequently, the park near my house, and I wear headphones when I go. It's no no street walking, really, so it's safe, whatever. But I have encountered a couple of snakes on that walk now in the past year. I think two, not not a huge amount, but enough that I keep a kind of a head on a swivel. And today I visibly jump scared because there was a loud kind of hissing sound near me, but I, th- I think it was a hose across the street. But I, oh, okay. I got a good spook today. I, like, I think I even <laughs> shouted. I mean, I'd didn't hear myself because i had headphones in but yeah and i jumped and kind of moved quickly so always on the lookout for snakes can't can't trust them smart can't trust them yeah there's copperheads and stuff we gotta be careful yeah yeah the rattlesnakes are in the mountains here i've seen one so i I know thereabouts um let's move to the next book so we're that's two out of the six is the third one the next book we covered was different seasons by stephen king that's the stephen king it is a collection Mm -hmm. of novellas there are four novellas in there we actually only talked about two of them on the pod because it's a longer book and so that was the next book we discussed, Different Seasons by Stephen King. Amanda, go ahead with yours on that one. Yeah, um, I said stories. Um, the The idea of stories and, and the act of storytelling is very important for actually both of the um, novellas that we read. And even for the um, other two stories that we did not read, um, it's also pretty important. And um, also Stephen King is just a great storyteller. So that aspect as well. 
It does feel like a cop-out to say stories, except you nailed it. He is kind of meta, and his stories are about yeah. stories. So at first yeah. you hear that, and I'm like, well, that's a preposterous one. Of course, all of these are stories <laughs> in a way. But no, it totally works because the stories we read explicitly included storytelling in them. So mm-hmm. it's a perfect word. My association was Friends, which I think is mostly because I really enjoyed The Body, which was based, or the movie Stand By Me was based on The Body, and we read that. It's such a tale of growing up and keeping your friends or leaving your friends and what are the important moments of friendship so i the other story we read kind of had to do with making new friends in a way but yeah i'll admit that those adult social connections didn't jump out to me as much i think that story was good but i i enjoyed the body a lot more so i think my brain just immediately went to there and i did i will say this i did honor system on these i really did write down the first thing i thought I did not finesse any of these. So that that's just immediately what came to mind is was, oh, these, this group of friends goes out on a journey. So I think yeah, my brain just awesome. went to that story. Yeah. Well, even um, the breathing method, the the other story, not the um, stand by me one, mm-hmm. not the body one. Um, the idea of like, yeah, making new friends and also not having friends. Yeah. So I think friends is, is just as important in that story, too. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's move on to the next book. Kim Ji-young, born 1982 by Cho Nam-ju. This is a South Korean translated work that you chose. This is also a novel that we read. I think it's the shortest book that we've done so far. Is that right? I think so, yeah. I think so, yeah. It reads very quickly. It's a very brisk read. I'll go first on this free association, again, for Kim Ji-young, born 1982. Easiest one I think I did, feminism, is immediately (laughs) the thing I thought of. I... It's odd because I don't mean this as a criticism, though it might sound like one. I think this is the most narrow book we've read, which, mm-hmm. again, I think can almost be a compliment because I tend to prefer things that are focused and not too rambling. I like when an author has a kind of narrow, clear vision that they execute on. This book, I don't, I can't fathom any other lens through which this book could be read. It almost has one thing on its mind, <laughs> which, again, it, you know, yeah. it's laser focused on that. It is about women's rights issues in South Korea, about how that country is transforming or maybe not transforming, how it fits in economically as a modern economy and kind of cultural norms, social norms, also pressures put on people. It's just all about women's issues there. There's almost no other topic that comes up in the book. Like every occurrence in the story is filtered through that experience for very clear reasons. That was the project of the book. And so... Yeah, I just immediately thought that's such a it's such a blatantly feminist novel. And again, I think that is a compliment. It's just so clear sighted in what it wants to talk yeah. about. Yeah, there's there's no frills and thrills there. It's it's very much sticking close to its theme. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine if someone picked up that book thinking I, I just you have to be interested in ideas of feminism, progress in terms of women's rights and their roles, responsibilities, how society views and treats them. The, if you don't care about those things, I just can't fathom what you would get out of reading that book. What if you mm-hmm. picked it up just thinking, I wonder what South Korea is like? I mean, it would be such a strange, such a specific view of the country, maybe <laughs> not an inaccurate one or anything, and perhaps a, a really devastatingly poignant one or something. But I, you just don't learn about anything else in, uh, that's going on in the country. You know, I know baseball is popular there. They didn't talk about baseball. (laughs) You know, it's just like (laughs) it's a one track book. It's very focused. So, yeah, I hit that right away. That's one where if you gave me 10 more minutes to think of a noun, I don't know what I would even come up with. Like it's feminism. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what that book is, is written intended to do anyway. So what about for you? I put down cockroach. Yeah. Interesting one. (laughs) 
Um, and that's um, in particular to um, the a particular scene um, in the book. But that is like a major turning point for uh, Kim Ji Young in the novel. And so that yeah. that particular idea of of calling someone a cockroach to me just like really struck me and it was like it was just crazy to me that people would say that so that's what uh stuck in my mind right Um, and it's like the first thing that i think of when i think of that book yeah it's gosh i don't even know if i would have pulled that word but now that you describe it i do remember that moment i know what you're referring to now yeah Mm. no totally and the the kind of very underheel way that women are treated in that book, sometimes subtly. I think that's one of the accomplishments of it is that it shows that the pressures are kind of, they can be overt, but they can also be so covert. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, the way she kind of scuttles about in her life and has to, but it, you're right. It's also such a demeaning, it's meant as a quite a demeaning insult and everything. So it's an interesting pull that that's one where I almost want to call you on it. That was really the first thing you thought of. Yeah. I'm amazed. Okay. Your brain <laughs> is just, your was brain not is the so first sh- thing that came to my mind. <laughs> yeah, your brain is so much more honed than mine. Mine is so <laughs> mine's just like a vague kind of library style organizational brain. Yours is yeah, you've got photographic brain or something. <laughs> yeah. I'm impressed by that poll. My the next thing I might have honestly said for that one would have been one of the foods. I don't know which oh, one. Oh yeah, there's a lot of mention of food. Yeah, their family that's just the journey of her family is her dad decides to open up a food shop and then it sort of evolves over time. So maybe I would have said some kind of food reference, but I would not have thought of food at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is our, this is a real Rorschach test. Like we said, <laughs> let's jump into the next one. The fifth book we covered is Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman, the English writer, Neil Gaiman. He kind of did a, a his own spin on the Norse myths and wrote them in a new and updated way, though I think he, he mostly stayed true to them, at least that was our interpretation. And so it includes, I don't know, 10 or so myths, maybe some more, some less, I don't know, <laughs> about 10 myths in there. <laughs> I was going to count them, but why? You know, we're just casually talking. Anyway, Amanda, what was your free association for Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman? Uh, mine was wisdom. Mm-hmm. Not in so much, well, yes, Norse mythology is meant to impart some wisdom about the world around it, but the theme of wisdom in particular, um, especially uh, with our conversations about theme in the episodes about Norse mythology, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the thing that stuck in my mind the most because it's what I like really held on to. And that's the thread that I followed throughout the entire series um, of mm-hmm. stories. So that's what it, it the first thing that comes to mind is just that particular theme it's, and how yeah. it's envisioned there. It's a great pick because it's probably the clearest motif. It's what yeah. the gods and goddesses of Norse mythology are after. It's what they, if they find strife, it's usually to find some kind of knowledge or wisdom. That's what they want to attain. It's what Odin is so desperate for. Yeah, no, it's mm-hmm. a great pick or association. I should say mine. Nice. I have two. Uh, I'll give my honest one, because we're not here to lie. We're doing the truthful version. The first one I thought <laughs> of was Blood, which, very strange. The the tales are often violent, as mythology so often is, but they're not gory or very graphic. Yeah. There was one in particular that involved, I believe, some kind of drinking of blood, unless I'm mis- Unless I'm misremembering, which I probably am. Some kind of, it, it involved taking, I think, a god's blood and drinking it for wisdom or something. Co- combining our uh, two. Ah, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. But other than that one, when the stories are violent, it's very brief and sort of, 
it's not gratuitously described. Gaiman sort of brushes it over, just how a myth would. I, the, when you go back to these really old texts, it's often the descriptions aren't going on for pages about violence. Not usually. There's some that have been updated to be such, written in such a way, I mean. But yeah, so it was an odd pick. I, I did change it to violence. I think often in Norse mythology, the solutions of some of the characters are often just, let's get violent now. And obviously the whole thing is building toward a violent event in Ragnarok. So part of me wanted to tweak it to say violence, because that I think is a safer pick. But my honest thought was blood. I, don't, I think because yeah. my brain was just thinking of how often these stories end in fighting. Yeah, So I think that makes sense. Yeah. Well, there's also, even if they... Um... Neil Gaiman and these stories don't necessarily have a whole bunch of gore to it. I think that the word blood does come up quite often. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking about like the violence being a bloody violence and stuff like that, like where the characters are talking about end of days Ragnarok and, and it ending in, in a lot of bloodshed and right. stuff like that. So I think the right. word blood probably popped up a lot, but the image of blood maybe not as much yeah not very yeah again uh, gratuitous not very gratuitous in my mind yeah the final book that we've covered in this set of one through six the sixth book is the seven husbands of evelyn hugo by taylor jenkins reed which is a novel about sort of old hollywood and also about a a uh, gay romance that is sort of hidden and it's it's about a couple of different things but those are the two main topics i would say amanda what was your free association for the seven husbands of evelyn hugo well i'm gonna be the uh 12 year old boy here sure um and my my free association is boobs <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh just keep just keep going ride this way tell me all about it um <laughs> or all about them i guess you said plural so <laughs> yep boobs um specifically um evelyn hugo's boobs um mm -hmm. it's just a major part of her identity like yes. what she uses to her advantage and also kind of what uh, traps her in particular roles as an actress and stuff like that. So it's, I mean, we were talking about how often the word breast showed up in the novel. Right, right. And it's quite often. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. the thing that is the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Evelyn Hugo in this novel is just like her own obsession with her breasts, but also the public obsession with her breasts, male gaze on her breasts and right, stuff like that right. and, and how that all just ties into her identity. Yep. Her sexual life, sexual identity is a main focal point of the book. And so it's perfectly fitting. We discuss it, I think, in both episodes of the book club, how frequently her body is described and specifically, yes, her boobs or chest. I don't know. <laughs> it feels weird to say <laughs> boobs into a even semi-professional scenario. <laughs> it's such a juvenile, You're goofy welcome. sounding word. <laughs> It, it boobs is a word that bounces around in your mouth when you say it. Anything yes. with the ooh sound kind of does that. Yeah. Uh, very funny. But no, that's perfectly <laughs> fitting. I'll admit that my brain did not go there first, so who knows what that says about us as people. <laughs> we'll leave all the psychoanalysis to the listeners, of course, as always. My association was, and this is one I have to tweak. So my association, to be honest, was hiding, which is a verb. So I had to change it to repression, which is kind of what I was thinking when I thought hiding. But hiding was the first word, but the noun form is repression. This is a book about repressing things and her having to repress feelings and her love for a person and how that goes and kind of how that makes her life go on. Her sometimes repressing what she wants in the short term for what she believes she needs in the long term. And then obviously her sort of repressing secrets and hiding secrets 
throughout the entire narrative, it is the thing she does the most is kind of withhold. At times, you could think of it as lying. At times, it might just be withholding the truth. There's different, I'll let you read the book, obviously, to get into the morals and ethics of kind of the person she is and what she does and why. But yeah, it's it's just such a story of secrets, I guess. Maybe I should have thought of secrets, but immediately the word was hiding, so... Hiding could technically, I mean, it could be a gerund, so it could be an Oh, yeah, there we go. Okay, cool. Uh, Yeah, English, right? (laughs) Could be anything I want. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I was going to say, immediately my brain for the noun form went to hide out, and then I thought that's just a ludicrous word. That's not what I mean, so. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, those are our free associations for the first six books. Let's jump to a different category. This is going to be a bit more of a compare contrast, so hopefully you new listeners have now at least a casual sense of the first six books. Now that you know at least briefly what they are, we're going to now talk about them in a bit more detail. This is a segment that we're going to call This or That. Essentially, we have given two categories that, while not being opposites, are at least fairly different, and we are going to recommend a book for each category in a pair. So let's do the first one. I think it'll make a lot of sense. So the first category is a book to bring to the beach or a book you would want to study in a class. So the idea behind that is like, well, a beach read is usually you don't think about it too deeply. It's fun. It's short, whatever. And then the opposite of that is kind of like, well, you want to study it in a class. You want to take your time on it. You want to get all the extraneous detail and really analyze it. Does the premise of this make sense, Amanda? The this or that? Yep. Okay. So we're going to do these different pairs here. Why don't you start us with your this or that for the beach versus class? What do you got? Sure. For my beach read, which means super cash, is um, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Yep. Um, there's, I mean, it's enjoyable, Very but breezy. it's not like overly literary. Yeah, yeah. And um, for the study to bring to study would be Kim Ji Young because of the feminism aspect. There's a lot that we could discuss and in, including for some sure. of the, um, the footnotes that are included in that novel. Yeah, it's got some research built right into it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm zagging for my beach read. I went Janesville, which topically is very heavy and it has to do with a lot of serious things and people kind of tragedy befalling people. But I found the style of Janesville so readable still. And I think it's not a bad thing on a beach read to learn something new, you know, to immerse yourself and actually come away with some understandings of how the world works. I think that's not a bad idea. Evelyn's a great Mm -hmm. pick too. And then for studying, I went Norse mythology there's so much source material you could study and the way he adapts and doesn't change things and then often does i just think a stylistic reading versus some of the original source texts would be pretty rich because we Mm -hmm. we did sort of marvel that he wasn't i didn't i ultimately don't think he did as much to change them as i expected which i think is interesting i would like to study and consider that more but to you know compare them against the originals so next pair do you want to set up the next pair Sure. It's um, a book to cheer you up versus a book to help you mope. Go ahead. Yeah. Take it away. (laughs) Um, So my my cheering up is actually (laughs) Norse mythology. Interesting one. Yeah. As strange as that is. Just because I think that it's got some good humor in there. Like the Thor and Loki scenes. And also ultimately is a tale of hope in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, there's there's a lot of uh, I think good things, and it's it's light, right? You know, there's right. some heavy stuff in there, but it's it's mostly light. Um, and then to mope, I would actually choose Hard Boiled Wonderland. Um, yes, because there's some very serious, heavy themes in that. I agree. So I'm going to just jump right in because I also put for mope Hard Boiled. I 
Yeah. It's a story that revels and kind of is joyful in the details. It's very descriptive and I think interesting, but there is that haze over that one narrative. And then when things start to click together, it, yeah, I don't want to spoil the ending though. (laughs) We can't forget our mission here tonight, (laughs) which is to (laughs) introduce people to the books, but I, it's very readable and at times almost goofy fun, but then has mm-hmm. incredibly heavy moments once some of the conflicts start to click into place. So yeah, that I think is a book for moping. It's also presents pretty complex ideas that I think you kind of, you have to kind of mope about them, you know, yeah. <laughs> none of it's very pleasant to think about, so to speak. Yeah. For cheer I up, I put Evelyn Hugo. I, it was the book when I was thinking back to all of these that I think I went back to and read the most quickly. It is a book that also has some severe tragedy in it, but because so much of it is just dialogue and conversation, you can breeze right through it. And I think because the, the people are going to be drawn to that story for her character and mm-hmm. she is such a kind of interesting light throughout the journey that again, maybe not wouldn't cheer you up, but it stays interesting and it keeps its, it keeps light on its feet. So I think it's, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just the one that's the breeziest, so. Yeah, it's definitely the breeziest. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. The next pair that we have here is a book that you would give to a close friend or a book that you would give to your parents. And I guess, I mean, I made all these categories, so I'll say to me those are distinctly different tasks. I don't know if you agree Mm -hmm. with that. (laughs) Yes. Okay, okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, again, maybe not, these aren't intended to be hard opposites, but to me those are two very different things. So at any rate, I'll begin for friend, I'm going hard-boiled. I think my friends tend to prefer sci-fi fantasy anyway. Not all of them, though, but a lot of them. And I think hard-boiled is just the right amount of that. It's not too out there, but then again, it has a couple of elements of it that are incredibly out there. <laughs> so if you're willing mm-hmm. to put up with a bit of um, topical experimentation, then hard-boiled is great. My mom, I don't think, would like that book at all. So for parents, or for my mom, I'm going Kim Ji Young. I think... What do parents want out of a read, right? They want to learn something about the mm-hmm. world. I know a lot of parents prefer nonfiction. They want to deal in the real world. Kim Jong is a novel that is, I mean, incredibly steeped and researched in the real world. So I think you're in yeah. Kim Jong is also so readable and fast that you're going to yeah. you're going to read through it quickly. You're going to learn a ton about both feminism in South Korea in particular, and so you're going to come out of it feeling like, "Wow, I just got this whole download about this entire culture." So, that's why I'm going parents on that one. Nice. Um, actually, I did give my mom the Korean version of Excellent. Kim Ji Young to read. That's great. Um, she has yet to read it. She's on a whole like her her reading style is completely different from mine. Um, she reads lots of art books and also cool. like uh, religious stuff. Oh, less cool. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> so giving her Kim Ji Young, which is neither art about art nor is it about religion. She's interesting. Like, interesting. Thanks, I guess. <laughs> And she also moved, she, you know, I, I'm assuming was born there. I actually don't know that. I was about to speak out of turn. She was, yeah. Okay. She lived there until she was 30. I was going to say, I know she grew up there and lived there, but I, yeah, I didn't want to speak out of turn anyway. But yeah, she's since <laughs> left there. So I wonder, I don't know, maybe part of her just doesn't want to go back mentally. I don't know. Oh, yeah, D- does she like going back uh, literally, taking trips and such? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, when okay. I lived there, she came um, once a year. And oh, then, okay. Yeah. Tell they, her they go back every couple of years. Convince her on the grounds of patriotic duty, then. I will. It's such a landmark. <laughs> yeah, it's such a... And again, so brisk, so readable, so short. Yeah. Okay. And then how about for a friend? Um, For a friend, actually, I said Kim Ji-young. Oh, oh okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so I, I would recommend Kim Ji Young to my friends as well as to my mother who did not read it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think that Kim Ji Young is, I think Hard Boiled Wonderland is a great choose for friends because a lot of, we have a few friends who are the same. And a lot of my friends also like um, sci fi and stuff like that. Um, but. I also want to recommend books to my friends that I think that they could um, learn from and maybe... You want to push them. Yeah, I want to push them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, So that's why I say Kim Ji-young. And for my parents, uh, funny enough, um, I was thinking of my dad. Specifically, my dad does not read um, Mm -hmm. a whole lot. I'm I'm the bookworm in the family, actually. And um, I chose different seasons... Because it's also an easy read, right? It, there's a lot of like exciting elements to it and some uh, great characterization to get them into it. And also, my dad is from Maine, and this is um, Stephen King. And so, <laughs> my dad admires Stephen King, even of course. though he doesn't like, read Stephen King. Local legend. Um, right. So, um, so, that's why I said different seasons. Fantastic. I think those are good picks. Also shorter. Yeah, yeah, and a bite size for parents can be. I, I, I guess I just don't know. I don't know why I'm projecting so badly by making that category. But my mom reads a ton. Our literary interests don't overlap a lot, but they do a bit. It's just I don't know many other friends' parents who read a lot. I'm not sure if that's true yeah. for you as well. Yeah. So yeah, when I think of I don't... yeah recommending something to a parent, I think it's got to be quick. It's got to be hard hitting. Yeah. Maybe it's got to be something really potent. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Kim Ji-young for me. But different seasons, at least they're novellas, you know? Yeah. Okay, next category. This one's a weird one. I'll probably have to explain what I meant. I put book that you would show off in public or a book you would read in secrecy. When I meant public, I meant you would openly take this on public transportation and read it in the hopes that someone someone asks you about it. Like, Mm -hmm. what I mean by public isn't just that you'd be willing to do it. I would read any of these in public. I'm not ashamed. That's not quite what I mean. I mean that you would hope or be willing to talk to someone about it just like off the street or whatever. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then book you read in secrecy, obviously one that you like just want to keep to yourself. You can go first on these then. Sure. Um, For the in public one would be Janesville. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that there's a lot of great conversation that could be had about it. And it since it's nonfiction and it deals with um, ca- kind of current events, but can, you know, is still ongoing some of the things that are happening in Janesville. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that there could be a lot of great conversation. It could possibly end up in an argument if you talk too much about politics. Um, but. I think talking about, like, the effects of, of, like, you know, economy and stuff like that, I think that could be a really interesting conversation to have for with, sure. um, somebody who's interested I in think that book. I th- think there's two good things that Janesville does in response to that, and especially since you would be the one who would know the specifics. So much of the yeah. stories are, are very grounded and human that you can kind of avoid some of that party banter. The other yeah. good thing is that a lot of the core issues are do not come down to party politics, but to more minute things, economic mm-hmm. decisions things about training government employee bureaucracy, like getting people through community college, for example, there's, I mean, all of it's political explicitly. So, but also some of it's apolitical in that it deals with 
factors that neither party controlled directly. And so, yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're worried about the party conversation too, the big national figures in it have kind of faded from view. Like Paul Ryan is the main one and Scott Walker. They're still on the scene, but they aren't nearly as prominent as they were when the book happens. So yeah. you could probably duck that. Like maybe if you read that in public when Paul Ryan was vice presidential nominee, that would have been, <laughs> maybe you would have caught some conversation then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> For my public, um, book to read in public... Oh, did you go in private? Sorry, go ahead. I just cut you off. No, good. <laughs> my, my secrecy one is is the obvious. I think the same as yours, yes. which would be Evelyn. Why? Um, so for Evelyn, just because, like, you could have some discussions, but your discussions with other people would be, like, about identity and identity politics and... Um, the idea of like sensuality and sexuality and um, like really big things that people don't necessarily want to have conversations about um, Mm -hmm. because it's like too personal. So interesting. Yeah. It is. I'll jump in there too. Cause you're right. My secrecy one was Evelyn Hugo. I just found it to be the most cliche ridden and kind of common denominator i just don't think i'd have much to say about it i mean we got two book clubs out of it and had frankly so i think some rich discussion i'm not i don't mean to critique the work and call it you know simplistic or boring or something i don't think it was those things but i just don't know you and i have a good history and i know we can talk books up with each other pretty well i just don't know what I would have to say to kind of an average book reader about that book, though, I, the, the the things I'd want to say about it would be on the more critical side or would be very in-depth. And I just don't think I would get that out of a quick chat on the bus or whatever. You know what I mean? It's yeah, I, How would you be able to describe it just to be like, oh, it's a book yeah. about Evelyn Hugo. And so the <laughs> conflicts in it are so obviously wrong, and, but the, and they're kind of presented so simply that it's not like I'm going to come away with some hot take from the book. <laughs> it's not like I'm going to read the book and go... Well, actually, I kind of did is I, I criticized that main character more than I think the book intended. But other than that, I, do, I don't really know what we would talk about. So I think you and I did really well talking about that book. But yeah, it's the one that I'd be least interested in just hearing somebody's general opinion about. My book to read in public then would be Different Seasons by Stephen King, mostly because it surprised me how much I enjoyed it. I'd never read King before, and I enjoyed his prose a lot more than I thought I would. And I would just want to hear from some King heads what else to read. I'm just kind of open-minded about King now <laughs> where I'd like, I'd nice. want some King super King fan who's read them all to come up to me and just give me a couple quick wrecks and talk me through the other books of King that I would probably enjoy. I don't think I would like it. And I don't have any interest in reading him over 500 pages, frankly. <laughs> I don't have interest in reading almost any author over 500 pages. So <laughs> I think, it, you know, there are some books of his that I would just reject, but I would like to hear from some hardcore King heads about like, what are the good deep cuts or what have you so that yeah anyway yeah king is i i love his works and i have never read it and i never will because i do not like clowns um sure sure, sure sure yeah so yep. no um <laughs> but <laughs> yeah hard pass. Um, his short stories he's got several compilations of short stories and in, in different seasons is novellas and i think that he's an amazing short story writer and novella writer and even his longer works which tend to be more of the supernatural um, yeah, I love them too. Uh, so yeah, I think the next I time it. I go to King, it's going to be for some short stories. I think that's up next yeah. for me. Nice. So all you dedicated King heads out there, come get out, get in touch with the pod on Instagram or something, Facebook. <laughs> Let me know what to read. Yep. Next category. Do you want to set up the next category? 
Sure. Go ahead. Um, so a book that you would reread, which is funny because you don't reread I hate books. rereading. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> or a book that inspires you to read other books or do some research on the side. Yes. Yes. I'll take this first because I, as a yeah. aforementioned, I'm the hater. I would reread different seasons. This is my pick for that one. The likelihood of me picking up and rereading an entire novel is almost zero. That's why when I read a book, I diligently mark the passages and stuff. I've gone back to reread moments in books all the time. I do that frequently. I'm like, oh, that's why I dog your pages. That's why I take notes when I read. I The idea of rereading a whole thing front to back is very foreign to me. <laughs> so I pick the novellas, of course. Like, would I reread a novella one day? Maybe. And I enjoy different seasons. Like I said, it surprised me. Some of the depth in it, some of the... I don't know, just the themes and imagery, the way it all was interweaving in some of those stories. Yeah, I could see myself going back to at least the the body, maybe, and rereading mm-hmm. significant chunks of that and thinking about that story again. And so, yeah, it's, it's a length thing ultimately for me, but just the idea of rereading any of the others is just so foreign to me. But how about for you for a reread? For a reread, I said um, Hardboiled Wonderland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because um, it's... I feel like if I were to go back to it even now, there would be something else that I would pick up on that I could just like follow the thread through. And even like by the end of it, there's still so many things that like we can think about and talk about um, and, and then go back and look at what we maybe missed and like tie it back to what we know the ending is going to be. Like there's just so many, so many possibilities, I think, um, if I were to reread it again. For sure. It's such an obvious pick. I'm kicking myself now that I didn't think of this. <laughs> it's a book <laughs> where the part in the middle, I'm going to call it a twist. It, was, it wasn't really a twist, but the, the yeah. moment of clarity in the middle recasts everything you just read in such a clear way that yeah. I was rereading parts of that book while reading the book. <laughs> I literally mm-hmm. did it while doing it. I was I went back and reread chapters of it knowing things later to then rethink yeah. them. So, oh gosh, such a great pick. I, I amend mine. I take my pick back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I not only would reread parts of um, Hardboiled Wonderland, I did. So I did that. <laughs> yeah. And how about for your inspiring outside researcher other reading? I think you and I chose the same we one, did. Um, Kim Ji Young, just because yeah. she already introduced some some research into the reading, but also like because it's such a um, an interesting insight into feminism, and not just like yeah, there's a lot of like feminism for South Korea, but also like with the Me Too movement both in Korea and around the world. Like there's so much that we could find out more about, and also because Korea is. Um, a country that not a whole lot of people know a lot about. There's so much that you can also research about just the country itself, like the setting. So For sure. I will say that my, this is kind of a biased pick because I already had a vague, I don't know, general interest in South Korea because of the film scene coming out of there, like Bong Joon-ho. There was The Handmaiden from a couple years ago. There was that zombie train movie. I feel like the cinema has started to translate and I became aware of movies coming out of South Korea. And so it's like, okay. And then, you know, Uh, Gosh, talk about things that don't fit the purpose of our pod, but let's just say I'm aware of North Korea. And so the history of that is such a, that's such a clear kind of target in the West, especially in America. It's such a thing you have to know about, but then South Korea in a way almost gets ignored. It's, it's so strange Mm -hmm. because we, we obsess over North Korea um, and its politics and the kind of just culture that exists there. But then South Korea is just sort of a, 
I don't know. It's just a weird dynamic that I've found interesting in the last decade, let's just say. So I, but yeah, Kim Ji Young spurred me to think and wonder about, you know, I don't know, Korea's progress, the social issues it has, the dynamics facing women there, especially. I will also now say, I feel like I'm getting myself into trouble territory. Maybe I'll edit all this out, but I, ha- I feel like I have to say this though. And please, this is your time to jump into as you have um, such a more personal interest, investment, knowledge, all that stuff with Korea. It, is it the most American of the Asian countries? Like, I feel like that's the part of Korea, especially, again, coming through seeing some of the films come out of there. It feels very American in a weird way. It's almost like this country that is emulating parts of America. And when I see a movie like Parasite from a couple years ago, whenever that was, it's like I cringe at the movie, which was a beautiful work of art, because it's just it seems like they are going through growing pains in Korea that America has also experienced and that there are these strange cultural crossovers happening with the way the economy is going there versus our economy here. It just, there's such a crossover between them that I see, and I find it a very fascinating study. Compared to, I Mm -hmm. mean, Asia is a vast continent with many things happening and billions of people. There's just something fascinating about the way South Korea has been kind of portrayed, I guess, to me, someone living in the States. And so I already had a, this vague inkling of interest in it just because of those things. And yeah, I think Kim Ji-young just kicked that off. Hopefully, and yeah, feel free to jump in, I, of course, but I hopefully I didn't generalize too much. That's just kind of my general perception of things. And I find that, I don't know, I find that all very interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, the United States, you know, with the, the Korean War, they have yeah, yeah. Um, army and air force stations still in Korea. Of course. And yeah. um, they help to kind of, you know, set up the Korean government and everything else. So there's there is a huge American influence there. Like there's yeah, in Seoul, yeah. there is one section of the city called Itaewon that is like that's the American section. Like that's America right, town. Right. Like how we have Koreatown or or whatever. So like <laughs> uh, yeah. so yeah, there I mean there is a huge influence, of course, but there's also a lot of pushback to that, especially with the older generation. So it's it's yeah. funny how there's a lot of American influence, especially on the younger generations. And then there's a whole lot of like, you guys are getting too American. Like this is, you know, don't forget your roots and stuff like that. There's still that um, pushback going on too. They're just, Kim Ji-young is a great study on this because you can graft a few of those things. Now, in terms of timeline, I feel like this book portrays Korea at a different stage, but there are certain dynamics with women and this kind of soft social power pressures that are happening in the book that you could mm-hmm. kind of graft onto America. Again, some of it doesn't hold up because I think, as the novel portrays it anyway, the family dynamics in Korea are pretty different than sort of whatever typical, whatever you want to call it, typical American is. I'm not even sure what that is, but it just, yeah. there are definitely some differences, but. Yeah, I just something about the connections that Korea has to the states has intrigued me. And I yeah, I'm we could run through, I'm sure, a list of other Asian countries and find connections and everything. It's there's something about globalization, America and Korea, those three things entangled. And maybe it's Samsung's influence. I truly don't know. It could be a bunch of things in my brain. I'm not sure. (laughs) Maybe it's the cinema. Like I said, (laughs) I think it's a lot of that. It's just like, wow, they're making movies that feel very Americanized and in, in like Hollywoodized in a weird way. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's intriguing and they're, they're good movies. And then some are just blockbusters. And anyway, it just, 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I find it very fascinating. So Kim Jong, I think, spurs that too. And for someone who doesn't think all of the wild generalizations I just thought out loud, I think Kim Jong would still do this, though, because it is researched. So you're immediately met with all of this thorough documentation of what's happening in Korea to, to women in Korea. So mm-hmm. good one to pursue outside of it. Any final thoughts on that one? No. Okay. And what was your, oh, your reread was Hard Boiled, a great pick. I remember now. Yeah. Final category. This will be quick, and I will say as a visual aid to the listener out there, because this is a podcast after all. We don't do a visual format, uh, probably now or ever, frankly. (laughs) No interest in being video filmed myself. (laughs) That's kind of a new trend in podcasting, but not for us. Anyway, quick visual (laughs) note on this one. We're going to end with the book with great cover art or the book with ugly cover art. Let's say that I think you and I have the same cover art, and I think we can safely assume that if you, the listener, just go to Google if you want to follow along with this last point, you could probably just Google whatever the main cover art is for these books. I don't think these are books that have multiple editions that I'm aware of. Or at least that I... I think Kim Ji Young does. Oh, I have, okay. for Kim Ji Young, I have the one with the yellow cover. Oh, never mind. Then we Okay, mine is the one with the woman in the desert in her face. Looks like a painting. Oh, yeah, so that's a different one. Oh, okay, well then I'll jump in. I'll go first then, because my, my great art is Kim Ji-young, born 1982. It is a of Kim Ji-young, but her face is completely blank and has been replaced by a desert painting that kind of has the tone and strokes of the... Who is the melting clock person? Um, Munch. There we go. Oh, uh, the, or, the melting clocks would be, sorry, um, Dali. This does not have a melting clock, just to be clear, but it has a co- sort of desert landscape that just evokes that to me. And so it's it's replace her face with that. I just find it very provocative. And given what happens to her in the story and her disassociation, I think it's a pretty powerful, I don't know, image to start the book with. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that cover. How about the great cover art for you? It's also Kim Ji Young for me. Oh, nice. um, <laughs> which is funny. I have the yellow cover one, um, which actually has the, the backdrop is like a silhouette of... Um, the like city of uh, Seoul, you can see the Namsan Tower, and oh, it's cool. like all very civilized. All these big buildings, these skyscrapers, and then Kim Ji Young is in the forefront, but her face is blank, and all that's there is the title. Okay, Kim Ji Young, born nineteen eighty two, which gotcha. Kim Ji Young we talked about is like the equivalent of Jane Doe. Yes, right, right, and, yeah. So um, I, I thought that that was just great because it's like oh, this civilization, and yet we have. Kim Ji Young's experience as a woman. Oh, fascinating. So. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Both are, I think both are pretty, and they're pretty artistically minded, I would say. I know it's a vague description, mm-hmm. but I think they're both thoughtful in that way. I'm going to jump in now because this is the reason I made this category. I feel like I have to start, if that's okay. <laughs> it's egregious. What are we doing here? <laughs> the Different Seasons by Stephen King novella collection has the worst cover art I have maybe ever seen in a published work. Uh, maybe literally ever. I truly believe that might that might be the case. What do you think of this? How do you describe this? Um, so it's looking. You're obviously in a jail cell, and you're like looking up at the bars over in your jail cell, and like the sunlight's coming in, and it's just surrounded by numbers not numbers but um tally marks to show i guess how many days you've been in there and this is obviously a reference to shawshank redemption which is one of the novellas in there yes but yeah it's very very simplistic and 
This was I, they could have done other things. I mean, it's called different seasons because there's four different novellas in there. I yeah. don't know. The 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 scrawled numbers on the in the inside of the prison wall look like they were cut out in Photoshop. It looks like somebody took a stock photo and then in yeah. Photoshop took the eraser tool and just erased little hatch marks. Like they don't have texture. It it blends in with the texture of the light coming out of the window, which doesn't make any sense literally at all. Like they're hovering. It looks like they're floating in the air. The font yeah. is terrible. It's supposed to look, I think again, like you said, like some kind of scrawled thing on a wall. And yeah. it looks awful. It just looks like you pick something out of Microsoft real quick that looks a little bit edgy or something. It is truly one of the worst cover arts I have ever seen on a book. <laughs> yeah. I, I like to think of books. I collect books in my mind. My book collection is a collection, and it's sort of an aesthetic choice to keep them, and I like having them around. I'm, I'm a book hoarder. That's the one possession I like to to kind of keep and hoard. And so in my mind, books are kind of a display piece of a, in a way, and this is just it's terrible. It looks terrible. <laughs> I had to put this segment in. I'm sorry. I'm very biased. But we talked about it briefly, I think, in, in one of the podcasts. Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> oh, dreadful art. I, frankly, the Murakami art didn't do a lot for me either. I was That was my runner-up for bad art. It was just, just whatever. Murakami, um, I don't know what cover you had, but yeah, my Murakami one was just the, it looks like a steel garage door yeah, with like me too. red and blue. Yeah, okay. very, yeah, very, it doesn't do anything for me. I kind of like the offset title and the and the geometry of it, but yeah, it's like yeah. it's whatever. I don't like photographs. Like commission an artist. The Janesville picture is great because it's an actual picture of someone in on the boots on the ground. So that that's evocative. And it's meaningful. Yeah, it's evocative. It's wintry, which I like. But just like Neil Gaiman's covered Kim Ji Young, like commission an actual artist, people. If you're if you're gonna commit to the publication of the book, <laughs> like you know, yeah. get get some artists paid out there. You there's you can make it look pretty and thoughtful anyway. Let's move now then, Amanda, to the final segment of today's highlights episode, and that is just going to be a personal rankings with a little bit of a twist thrown in. We figure that, again, if you're a listener out there hearing about these books for the first time, one thing you might be wondering is, well, I only have time for a book or two. I can't read six, to which we say, fair enough. You know, it's your life. Manage it how you see fit. (laughs) We'll keep reading on your behalf. But if you only have time for one or two, you might just be wondering, well, just give it to me straight. Which one's the best one or which couple should I read? So here's the system we're going to go with at the end here to just give you some final recommendations and ideas. I think what we're going to do is give our personal list. We'll go through them in descending order from top to bottom. And we're also going to compare and contrast with Goodreads as we go. Goodreads, if you don't know what that is, is a book kind of ranking and review website where they you can also get into their database and get recommended books. It sort of has an algorithm in the background that will recommend and pair you with books. You can also like join communities on Goodreads. This is not an ad for Goodreads. We're not paid or sponsored by them, though you know, we can yeah. dream, I guess, whatever. I think they're an Amazon affiliate now, <laughs> by the way. I don't actually know that, but oh, wow. I think so. Anyway, it is probably just the biggest database of book info on the internet, though. For example, the number one book on Goodreads in this ranking had over 200,000 reviews. Right. So I think like 213,000 people had rated that book. They they didn't type up a written review. I think there were like 35,000 typed up reviews, though, for it. So a hu- wow. that is a huge number. I guess, as we know, book people are tend to be long-winded, maybe, <laughs> and thoughtful, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But I only pull that to say that our, we, I think it's a really good metric to compare our tastes against the tastes of just a massive book reading public. And so I think it'll be a really interesting experiment. Uh, does that all yeah. make sense, Amanda? 
Yeah. Okay. Sure. So we'll go descending order. Uh, it'll go. I think we'll go book reads, then me, then you, and then we can kind of talk about the intermingling. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Good. The book read scores, by the way, are all out of five total points. So it's a five point system. You get to rate one, two, three, four, five, and then this is an average. The number one Goodreads book is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which has a 4.38 out of 5. My number one book is going to be Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World by Haruki Murakami. And yours, Amanda? Is Kim Ji Young, born 1982 Let, by Cho Nam Ju. Let's talk about Goodreads first. Why do you think this happened? And, and just to be clear, I, that tone sounded really harsh. Uh, we recommend all these books full-throated, I think. Like, the whole premise of this podcast is we, when we redesigned it was that we would pick books of quality up front. We would never even do a book club or a recommendation on this pod for a book we think you should not read. If, it, if the book was awful, mm-hmm. we would just skip it and do the next book. So anyway, I think I just wanted to get that out of the way because all six of these are worth reading and exploring depending on your tastes and interests and everything. Um I don't want this to seem like we're slamming on any books or anything. Does that? Right. Yeah. Just wanted to give that disclaimer. That is kind of our goal and mission of the pod is to pick things we think are quality. Anyway, long-winded way to say, what happened here? Why is it number one? I think for Goodreads, it's number one because uh, Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is something that can be read by like anybody and, mm-hmm. and not be something that people feel like they need to really focus and do a literary study on yeah it's very very casual and therefore is easy to kind of mass market yes in a lot of ways it wears its yeah. themes on its sleeve those themes are things that are pertinent to the to the current world to social issues it's an lgbtq plus narrative it's about you know repressed sexuality it it has so many things that are relevant today and worth discussion and if this is the book it takes to kick that off in your book club or your friend circle more power to you. It's not what I would rate as number one for sure. But yeah, it has such a mass appeal. And as we both noted, the character of Evelyn Hugo does make for a great study. She's compromised. Yeah. She's interesting. She's dynamic. Yeah, I think I think she kind of carries the book. I didn't have mm-hmm. the heart to read the reviews to see if people really liked the frame. Neither of us liked the frame narrative. Yeah. So I did, yeah. didn't have the heart to check that. <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah. Anyway. That was us being, that's the literary side of us, though. I think so. so. I think so. Yeah. I'll briefly go through <laughs> mine. Hardboiled is the number one for me. It only grows in estimation as we get away further from it. I think when I read it, it felt a little heavy-handed at times. But, gosh, the way those two narratives interplay sure is fascinating to think about. And you can only think yeah. about it more and more over time if you really want to. It does something really brave and tells those two stories in such a distinct voice that I can't help but admire it the more I get away from it, I think. It's Mm. worth it for the complexity, and I think for as dense with ideas as it is, I think it's pretty fun, quote-unquote, to read, if that makes sense. It's it's not breezy, but... It, it's oddities are kind of fun and not played for total menace. It, it, for as much as it is, we talked about moping earlier, as much as it's kind of a mopey book, it's not gloomy to read. It doesn't have a gloomy tone about it, um, except for one could say half of the book does. So, yeah, I just the complexities of it grow in my mind. So that's my number one for now. How about for yours? Uh, for mine, uh, for Kim Ji Young, yeah. I chose that for my number one just because I think that it's such an important read, um, and it's something yeah, that yeah. is very contemporary i mean it was written um in korea in 2016 so it's like super new and it's like important for koreans and for uh feminism around the world but also it's just such a short read and it's so fast 
and the there's not a whole lot we talked about how like the, the style is is very clinical but that's so that you can focus i think on the information that's being presented so that you can if you want to do like a deep dive into it it's more about like a deep dive into the experiences of the character right. rather than the stylistic um uh, choices that the author makes i think that's very specifically done and i think that allows for people mm-hmm. who are perhaps afraid of reading something that's too heavy especially if it's heavy plus a novel with a whole lot of style that you need to dig through this is something that's so approachable yep. and just so important accessibility is the word there that's for sure The number two ranking on Goodreads with a 4.34 score out of five is Different Seasons by Stephen King. I mean, what's there to say? It's Stephen King. He's very popular. Mm -hmm. He's one of the beloved American authors. He writes accessible but strange fiction that is thoughtful, I think, in its prose more than people maybe want to give him credit for at times, but is also considered kind of pulpy and easy to read. My number two is also Different Seasons. So I'll just jump in with my explanation. Actually, I'd rather us read them all in in order. Sorry, I'm messing my own methodology up. Go ahead with your number two. (laughs) My number two is a tie, actually. Um, My number two choices would be different seasons as well as hard-boiled wonderland. Oh, okay. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Let me, a quick rundown for me on different seasons. I align with you guys all. We all align on this one. Uh, The depth (laughs) of it really surprised me. I think King has a lot more ideas than maybe people want to give him credit for. Maybe these novellas were a weird sample size or something, but there were so many complex things happening. For example, the body ended up being a story about class in America, especially small towns and social perceptions. It's also just a loss of innocence story. And and there's also a lot of child parent relationships and abuse in there. It's just, there was a lot more happening. And I, in those episodes, we make it clear that just his writing chops are pretty strong. There's some imagery there that's really thoughtful and kind of intense when it needs to be. I just walked away having an admiration for someone I didn't know anything about. So I, yeah, number two for me is the, is the Stephen King collection. Um, your thoughts on those, Amanda, go ahead. Yeah. Stephen King is, I've, I've been reading Stephen King since, um, middle school, I feel like. And, and I've always really loved, I started off actually reading Stephen King. I've read his non-horror books, first which was yeah. um the the dragon one I, I i'm pulling a blank on it right now but um that was my first book with stephen king and i've always admired his ability to tell a story as in like he's a great uh, his plots are really great and but also people don't really talk about especially with his short stories and his non-horror stories like the the themes that go behind that and the style that he has it's just so distinct um, and actually, like, imagery and, and all that stuff. He's he's very actually literary in a lot of ways. I thought um, so. Even, yeah. Even though he kind of, like, in, um, in the body, he's, like, poking fun at the idea of, like, being literary. It's like, well, dude, you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, it's weird that he has that criticism in there, but it's fair enough given his reputation. It's just... I think there's plenty to unpack there. More than I expected to yeah. find. Bit of a treasure. Let's do the three, yeah. and then I'll let you go about hard-boiled. Unless... Yeah, sounds good. Okay, yeah, Goodreads has a tie as well for three and four. So with 4.14 points out of five, Goodreads has Kim Ji Young, born 1982, and Hard-Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World tied. So that's a 3-4 tie. I have, for number three, Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman. And what's your number three? Uh, oh, Hard-Boiled. 
Sorry, yeah, I know I you said that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead with yours, because you're kind of with aligned with Goodreads a bit on that one. Go ahead, talk to us about what you liked about it. So um, the same things that you did, and I I, I liked that. Um, I had not experienced Murakami before, and yeah, um, yeah. I didn't know what I was going to get into. But I think that his, just like King, like stylistically, I was just. Um, really in awe of of how he wrote and he was able to take two completely different narratives and write in two completely different ways and intermingle them so that you you know that he's like a master of um yeah of his style and and he's he's got like such a, a great scale for um going back and forth between the two narratives with two different um styles it's just amazing and his themes are really interesting and the characters are um well developed and and also kind of like you know an homage to um the the noir fiction um very uh raymond chandler-esque in a lot of ways and i just i really enjoyed the story and like i said like i could go back and reread that novel and come back with just completely different ideas yeah my brief commentary on goodreads rankings by the way is I could think of, I can hardly think of two more disparate and different books to tie. <laughs> yeah. Those are radically different books in their ambitions and projects, you know? It's just so, <laughs> yeah. But they are both written as as Asians who are not American. Oh, yeah. Quite true. Quite true. Yeah. Yeah. Translated works. I, yeah, the only, I'll say a couple quick things about Norse mythology, my number three. It did surprise me how much I enjoyed it, though it was my pick, so you know, I, you know, I researched it and everything. I, and I really thought coming out of it that Gaiman would have done more. We talk about this in the episodes. I thought there would just be more style injected into it, but regardless of that, I couldn't help when I was putting the list together. I just remember so many of the oddities. It has the oddities that I like in mythology, and he just polished the style just enough to make it a smooth, pleasurable read without too much, I don't know, how do I want to phrase it? Why is mythology so awkward to read at times? It just doesn't have style or flow that we (laughs) expect. (laughs) I'm, I'm hitting upon big topics now, but yeah, I wish he would have done more. Had he done more to evolve or change them or something like that, maybe it would be my number one. But yeah, I just when I thought back, I remembered so much of the tales, and I I just like the oddities of mythology. So that's why it's my number three. I think it's it's a very readable version of that. If that's at all in your interest area, then he has made a pretty nice updated version. So that's mm-hmm. my number three. All right, we talked about Goodreads number four. Um, my tie or my number four is a tie with five as well. So I'm just gonna say them. Janesville and American Story and Kim Ji Young are a tie for me for four and five, interchangeable. What's your number four? Janesville is my number four. So let's talk about him then. Janesville <laughs> to me and Kim Ji Young were both nonfiction. Kim Ji Young, just to be clear, is explicitly not nonfiction, but because it is so thoroughly researched and so sparsely presented, those two books in my mind did the same task, which is they humanized an issue of our time that matters. They're both researched. Janesville, to be fair, is way more researched. <laughs> There's like a hundred yeah. sources in the back of Janesville. Kim Jong uses maybe ten or so or fifteen. Um, but they're they both humanize something important. I think they are the books I would recommend to folks who want maybe something more straightforward, but that 
gets you involved in in the real world in real issues in a clear way so in my mind i just couldn't break them apart in the ranking i stylistically neither neither of them blew me away but that's not really the intention i think janesville had some nice imagery kim jiang had some cockroach stuff going on as you noted earlier you know it like kim jiang has some elements to some of the family dynamics and some of that is worth thinking about in a, I don't know, symbolic or literary way. But in my mind, I can't untangle them. They had to be a tie for me. So that's my mm-hmm. thoughts. Your thoughts on Janesville for number four? Um, so I was surprised at myself for actually really, I, I tend not to read a whole lot of nonfiction. I, I just prefer fiction. Yes. But Janesville really, really gripped me actually because it is nonfiction, but there is, as you noted, like a lot of style is put into it and it's yeah. very carefully written. Yeah. And I think that Goldstein, as a writer, um, I was very surprised, pleasantly surprised, by by how well she incorporates some imagery, and she also uses some uh, some similes, some metaphors, and other uh, figurative language that I was not expecting. I was expecting it to be almost more like, um, <laughs> more like perhaps a, a Nat Geo read <laughs> in yeah, a lot of yeah, ways. That's fair. Um, but it was like it almost read like a novel in a lot of ways. And, mm-hmm. and I just really enjoyed that. And I felt like I learned a lot. Um, and I, it really opened my eyes to um, like the effects of the GM shutting down and stuff like that, that I had not thought of before. So I really yeah. appreciated the work as as a work overall. Empathetic, but not sentimental. Right. I think that's that's a perfect. Yeah. Yeah perfect explanation let's go with number five for goodreads then goodreads number five is janesville an american story with a 4.1 out of five my number five as i mentioned was a tie and so your number five amanda is evelyn hugo do you want to speak on evelyn hugo for a second what do you think sure um so evelyn hugo was an enjoyable read like i really did enjoy it because of the characterization like you fall in love with um taylor jenkins reed's ability to really create um, a character who is so human yeah, in a lot of ways, flawed. but also just so like over the top in a lot of ways. Too. Yeah. Very Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Top boobs. Anyway. <laughs> um. well, and signing off, we are, we've been the lightly literary <laughs> podcast. <laughs> to be fair, it's 11 PM here. So a man is well within her rights to make as many boob jokes as she wants. <laughs> um, so I, I really enjoyed it. And, um, as we stated before, like, yes, it's a very beach read. It's a very casual read, but that doesn't detract from, I think, the importance of some of the themes that are presented. Um, it's just that, um, I, and I really enjoyed it overall. Like, stylistically, it was it was okay. It was, it was good. It was enjoyable. Like I said, this is a very enjoyable book. It's not something that I would necessarily, like, study a whole lot, but, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I would recommend it. Sure. Let's let's follow that up with the final number six ranking. So Goodreads has Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman last, number six, with a 4.08 out of five. My number six book is Evelyn Hugo, or the, the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And then your sixth book, Amanda, is Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman also. Why don't you start with your thoughts on Norse mythology? I'll just interject on behalf of Goodreads here and say that made a ton of sense to me when I saw it. Mythology, no matter how you dress it up, just is not for everyone. It's not a totally cohesive narrative. The characters can se- can seem random. He tried to interlock a lot of the stories, but they don't fully do that. So I think 
And also, again, I just couldn't get over how I thought he would dress it up way, way more. I think he did put in plenty of intriguing bits and details. There's some clear style, some Gaiman-esque style. But he also left them alone in a way that I still find very... I don't know. I'm happy to keep it at three because I remember so many of the tales, but it's certainly mm-hmm. a choice. I think a, a 4.0 out of five is still very good or 4.08 or whatever. It's all of these were well received, but yeah, they're can, all above. They're all yeah. above four. So yeah. That's, yeah, I can see why it would be the last of these, you know, in terms of the reading public, but um, a four is still very good. So anyway, and go ahead mm-hmm. with Norse mythology. Why are you in agreement there? Yeah, even though I've ranked it six, it doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy it. For sure. I did. I really yeah. enjoyed it. <laughs> Making this list was difficult because I was like, man, I really liked all of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, like, yeah, mythology is not really my thing. Um, but what what I liked about it was that there was a cohesive storyline, which we don't get a whole lot of with yes. a lot of, um, the other mythologies, where a lot of mythology is about, like, let me just throw a bunch of explanations for these natural happenings and also a whole bunch of, like, morals at you to try to make you be a good person, but without, like, an actual plot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Norse mythology, he actually weaves together a narrative that makes sense. Each story can stand by itself, but each story, when put together, especially in the face of, of Ragnarok, that, I think, makes it a more cohesive and comprehensive idea and a narrative. And that's what I really enjoyed about it. I yeah. enjoyed Loki. I thought Loki was, like, probably my favorite just because... He gets the most life breathed into him, quote unquote. He is the most exactly dynamic and complex character. He is. Yeah. And ultimately, what I did was to put it in six for me because there were so many like questions and missing pieces, which has nothing to do with Neil Gaiman because he, a lot of Norse mythology is actually missing. Yes. And yes. It's, it wasn't passed down. There's like not a whole lot of information um, that was available for Neil Gaiman to like piece together uh, a more cohesive study. But the, I really wanted to learn more about like the female characters (laughs) and um, more of just, I guess, characters other than, than Loki. The women are missing for sure. The focal point. Yeah. Women are missing. The, the goddesses get, not as much attention as they should have. You posed in the second book club, a great essay question about that, that we talked about, or I guess I talked about it, but no, that's yeah. Very well said. My final number six then, cause I'm the only one left is Evelyn Hugo. And I don't know what I could say about it that we haven't already said. It's a great character study. I think the frame narrative is very compromised and I found parts of it honestly kind of laughable, but there's definitely things to recommend about this book. And I think I, when I saw that it was top ranked on Goodreads, I just nodded my head in silent agreement and thought, I understand what happened here. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's She's such a great character study. It's quite readable. I think it has, it has an accessibility to it without sacrificing depth completely. And frankly, if you go into it wanting, let's say you're a person who, for example, has immersed yourself in rom-com Hollywood movies of the last 20 years and you love the genre right? With any genre fiction come tropes and come expectations. This one hits a lot of those in the frame that put me off, 
But sometimes when you're immersed in a genre or you love that genre, those things are just par for the course. It happens with me with sci-fi and fantasy. And I just think that that's the kind of book this is. It's going to check those boxes. So Mm -hmm. come for Evelyn. You know, maybe you stay for the frame. Maybe you don't. I found the parts with her character to be pretty fascinating. Again, maybe didn't have the depth I wanted at a couple moments. But she's pretty compromised, and I found that really fun and intriguing to talk about. So I we got a lot of great discussion out of it. It is my last one for sure because I think stylistically it's a little less daring than what I tend to prefer. But tons to recommend about it. As I said, hopefully you heard the disclaimer before the rankings. We choose books that we recommend just as a baseline. We recommend all six of these as a baseline. (laughs) I don't think if we ever come across a book that either of us would say, I don't want to recommend this, we'll probably just cut it and pick a different book. So (laughs) they all kind of get a baseline recommendation. So hopefully we've done a good job tonight describing them to you, giving you a sense of what to expect and what you could enjoy out of them. Amanda, before we close out tonight's episode, and I don't think we're going to do any allusions to the future ones. We've got books planned for the future, folks. Keep your eyes on the Lightly Literary Podcast feed. We're going to keep going with the one book every two week pace. You can expect episodes every Friday and book recommendations every other Monday. We always recommend the book before we begin discussing it. Um, That all being said, Amanda, any final thoughts on this collection of six? Uh, nope, I'm good. Excellent. Yeah, we. I think we've said it all. And hopefully, again, if you're a new listener, we well, we thank all the listeners for joining us. But if you're a new listener especially, hopefully you leave tonight or today with a book recommendation and an idea of something you can go pick up and read. Again, keep your eyes on the feed for books we'll be doing in the future. And as always, friends, we'll see you between the pages. 